Run away from the sound. You can beat the sound waves. Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Regular listeners might be surprised to not hear the dulcet tones of Connor's voice coming through to you. Unfortunately, house moving has turned out to be a very time-consuming activity, so Connor can't be with us this week. Also, the Chiefs got beaten pretty badly, so I think he wants to avoid the slagging. So I, Sean, will be uh, on hosting duties uh, this week. I also have with me Ronan. Hello. Hi, Ronan. How are tricks, uh, as Connor would say? Uh, not too um, bad. You know, my team lost this week, and then my other team in the soccer also got <laughs> hammered. So, you know, I don't know what Connor's problem is. Like, he just needs to man up and yeah, find yeah, some time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, apparently he, he was going through the sanding, which I hope he learned to use goggles for, because uh, when we were going up to the London game, Connor's uh, eyes were going pretty bad after taking down a wall. So hopefully he's using the appropriate safety equipment <laughs> and he survives long enough to uh, show up next week. Perhaps a mask would make sense since we'll need those uh, dulcet tones. But yeah, a one-week hiatus and I'm looking forward to having you in the uh, driving seat, Sean. Let's see how you do. Let's see if you can replace yes. him. You know, we brought you in only last year and you're already hosting. You know, who knows where this is going? Uh, I doubt I could replace him, but but I can I can be a stopgap for a week. It's going to be interesting. I've never really done anything like this before. See how it goes. So, yeah, I guess we'll start, as we always do, with news. And so there's one big transaction, New York Jets <laughs> trading 2022 six-round pick for QB Joe Flacco from Philadelphia. This is obviously off the back of rookie quarterback Zach Wilson being out for two to four weeks, whatever a PCL is. Something in the knee. They're all around something the knee. Something in the knee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ligament. Yeah, it's a ligament. Cruciate yeah. ligament or something, is it? Yeah. So, Flacco in as a replacement, do we think it's a short-term thing? Or do we think that potentially they're looking to get away from Wilson for a while? Or what's your sense of that? To be honest, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Obviously, Joe Flacco was on this team last year, but obviously the coaching staff has changed. Look, this is a team that's not going anywhere this year. So, I'm not sure why you're giving away any draft capital yes even just a six round pick which i think is actually if flacco plays enough might turn into a fifth round pick and you're kind of going what is the purpose of this like i realize that you know bringing in the generic white quarterback uh known as mike white like it's a little on the nose <laughs> is not great but there's guys you could pick up for free off waivers or off free agency who would be probably about as useful as joe flacco and since you know, really, you're probably playing for a draft pick anyway. You know, that's something to look. And, like, the worst-case scenario could be that Joe Flacco comes in and plays reasonably because, unlike Zach Wilson, he's not looking for, like, the super deep ball every single time. He's kind of aged out of that at this point. So, yeah, for me, it's very confusing. I'm not sure. Like, it's not even like he's been a good mentor historically. He's been one of the worst people for mentoring people. So, yeah, for me, overall, just a very confusing transaction. Yeah, no, I, I can see the logic in terms of the experience and in terms of the familiarity with the team. But he is a different kind of quarterback. Yeah, he's well past his best. If, and even his best wasn't, I mean, he had maybe one or two seasons where he could, could, could be considered good. But that was almost a decade ago now. So, yeah, it doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense, especially when there are other quarterbacks out there. Speaking of other quarterbacks out there from controversy corner the trade rumors about houston quarterback 
Deshaun Watson intensifying as we come up to the November the 2nd trade deadline, which is just next week. Strong rumors, especially about the Miami Dolphins, who obviously have Tua currently as their starting quarterback, and Carolina, who have Sam Darnold nominally playing quarterback for them. Both of those are apparently quite interested in it. Obviously, Deshaun Watson with all the controversy about his various things he, he may or may not have done uh, to women. A hugely controversial figure, but, but immensely talented. And I suppose it is inevitable that this is going to happen, that he was going to come onto the market, especially when teams got to this stage in the season and started to look at salvaging what was what was left of their season. In particular, the Panthers, I think, they must be thinking about salvaging a season that's very quickly getting away from them. Yeah, like with Carolina, at least I see it as somewhat of a logic. They have a few wins. They're obviously on the downslope very quickly with Sam Darnold. And they're obviously not much invested in that guy. Um, so at least for Carolina, I could understand. Whereas for Miami, who've been the team most highly linked with them, they already have a young quarterback in Tua who may or may not be sent back to the, the Texans. They're already only got one win on the season. So you're kind of wondering, Miami, like your season's already done. You know, unless you think someone else is going to swoop in, you, you probably are better off just waiting on it. But obviously, with, with other teams coming around, maybe Miami feels the heat a bit. Now, one interesting thing about this is that, of course, Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause in his contract. So if there's teams that he doesn't like, then he doesn't have to go there. He can he can force the issue and basically say, I'm not going anywhere. Now, given how bad things are in Houston, he may be willing to uh, consider teams that he wouldn't otherwise, just to be aware that that's a situation. And I think, for example, Philly have been tagged with him a little bit, obviously, Jalen Hurts not not being amazing, um, but apparently that's one team that he wouldn't want to go to. I think isn't the Dolphins thing the Dolphins room is based partly around the fact that this is where Watson himself wants to go, or at least that's where the rumors are that yeah. he's kind of the Dolphins are top of his list probably because of, of climate and various it, well, things like that. Miami's a destination; it's sunny. I think the tax rates are pretty favorable compared to other jurisdictions. There's a lot of things going for Miami. Whatever team decides to make this choice is going to take a lot of heat upon itself. But for Houston, interesting with Houston because basically you know if the if the legal situation with Deshaun Watson resolves itself favorably for Watson they've basically got something that they could legitimately get the three first round picks that they've been rumored to wa- have wanted for him in the offseason but if he if that legal situation obviously goes the other way then he's effectively worthless because he'll probably be spending some time in jail or at the very least uh, will be a lot harder to touch you know they're kind of in that superposition now of those two states so the value of him like how much do they value him internally because obviously in the offseason they're talking all about we'll never trade him will never trade him now that it that, that's kind of broken down it'll be interesting to see how much they're actually asking for in these but i think from the reports we've heard that some teams have already made an offer that is intriguing them yeah look a lot of a lot of different factors and personalities going on here and a lot of controversy if this actually goes through but to be honest if i was a betting man come november 2 i think he'll still be on the texans and then we'll have to go through all this again next off season interesting interesting yeah so one to, one to keep an eye on and i'm sure next week when Connor returns, we can have a good chat of how Deshaun Watson is going to fit into Miami and what it does to poor Tua's uh, future. So uh, next up is injuries. Just a couple of relatively minor ones. We've already talked about Zach Wilson being out for two to four weeks. Also out. I'll just go through these and then, and then Ronan, you can kind of flag the ones you think uh, are of most interest. So firstly, the Green Bay Packers wide receiver Dante Adams will miss week eight's crucial Thursday night football game against the Arizona Cardinals because he has uh, COVID-19. Philadelphia Eagles running back Miles Sanders has an ankle injury he's out for one to four weeks Baltimore offensive lineman Patrick McCarry also ankle he's out for two to four weeks and the New Orleans Saints uh, offensive guard Andrews Pete Peck uh, issue likely out for the season in terms of impact what what do you see from these players being out 
Yeah, so obviously Zach Wilson is the big one, but we, you know, they've now got Flacco and Mike White, so we'll see. And the biggest thing for that, for me, is just like, if the Jets can move the ball by having a boring, consistent offense compared to Zach Wilson's, like, hero ball approach, that will probably create questions over there. But look, Devante Adams being missing from 13 in my football is a huge kick in the teeth for Green Bay, and they're already dealing with some injuries at the moment. I'll be there probably getting some people back as well. So, look, we'll talk about it in the previews, but a huge loss for Aaron Rodgers. He's really, you know, the centerpiece of that offense. And other than that, like the, the offensive line injuries in Baltimore and New Orleans, they're both significant guys and will definitely affect their efficiency, particularly on the ground. No, nothing too major in the injury category this week, thankfully. Uh, yeah, certainly from looking for me, it's the, the Devante Adams is the one stands out largely because of how important the, the game coming up, obviously, in terms of playoff seeding and the such like. It's a big one for the Packers and Adams is the guy that Aaron Rodgers wants to throw to all the time and he usually catches it so uh, yeah that, that's kind of um, big um, for them so that's all the news I will now look at some game reviews from last week so interesting slate of games we had it was a bit of a strange in terms of the games between good teams ended up being blowouts quite surprisingly and then the only games that were close really games between either two bad teams um, or teams between one good team and one bad team but but from so but from that records we managed to pull four games uh, that we wanted that we want to talk about uh, in some depth this week we'll start with the Stafford Goff revenge game Detroit Lions at the LA Rams, 28 to 19 in the Rams, a lot closer than most people thought. The Rams kind of just pulling it out in the end. Detroit, I mean, you got to give it to them. They pulled out all the stops. They had every trick play in the books. A surprise on kite kick three minutes into the game. Two fake punts, which they both, which both succeeded, which is, which is quite impressive. They got up to an early 10-0 lead before the Rams realized that they were actually the better team and started to pull them back. Um, 17-16 at the half. And then in the second half, they kind of pulled away thanks to Goff making mistakes uh, as we are used to him he had 268 yards and a touchdown but two interception his mistakes came late uh, particularly interception uh, to Jalen Ramsey which basically killed the game Deontay Swift uh, had 154 yards and a touchdown the the Rams defense for that touchdown was just appalling uh, and Raymond 115 yards with destroyed with stars for Detroit Stafford solid numbers 334 and three touchdowns he tore up uh, what we all recognize as a very poor Detroit defense with Cooper Cup who's having a great season 150 56 yards and two touchdowns feasting once again i think i think robert woods had a couple of important uh, catches uh, as well a, a game that you know was more interesting for the for the the narrative than necessarily going into it than the gameplay but a game that was a lot closer than than we expected but the rams pull out the win uh, in the end dan campbell right now he's kind of like a struggling father he's got kids he's like trying to keep the magic of santa claus alive this is completely uh calendar inappropriate but we'll go with the uh, for anyway <laughs> it's just a situation where like he's just like obviously i have to get these presents for my kids and we need to kind of work towards that he's doing everything he can to get them the presents and you know he's like detroit lions wins they they do exist i still believe in the magic of the nfl several times this year they've just had that situation where they've done everything can and dan campbell he just loves football so much and you know if you imagine he could win the super bowl which will never happen but if he did he'd be like i just love football so much i just love these players i love football but it's just not happening and you cannot criticize his lack of balls like balls were huge in this game two fake punts surprise onside kick basically just taking the ball away from the rams for basically the entire first quarter 
you know, getting 10 points out of it, which for the Lions is is fine, including like that, that play to DeAndre Swift where he basically got the screen and just kind of ran through the rest of what it was left of the Rams' defense after they blitzed too much. Yeah, it just seemed like they're trying so much. It's a team that's fighting. Like when he said we're going to be ankle biters, they are definitely biting ankles. But unfortunately, if you're biting someone's ankles, that means you're on the ground and the Rams were more than happy to take their foot away for a second and then stamp their face into a, a, a kind of indistinguishable sludge in certain 1984 reference here so like <laughs> it's definitely a situation for the lions that even though they're the last winless team in the nfl they don't feel like the la- like the most winless team they don't feel like a gutless team like the texans for example it's just a situation where they're just so lacking in talent both due to the, the turnover they're having and all the injuries that they've suffered this year that they're doing everything and then they're losing particularly against these better teams like the rams and obviously had an awful baltimore loss earlier this season the big thing for them is that the run game is relatively effective and the pass game with swift and kind of screen passes and stuff has been very effective so I think DeAndre Swift was one guy that we expected to kind of be a breakout candidate and it's great to see he's actually able to do that despite the difficult circumstances and they're even getting some prediction out of guys like uh, Khalif Raymond and in previous weeks I'm on Sid Brown has done some things although he didn't get a catch in this game there's no gold stars for not winning I think if they keep playing like this for the entire season if they keep trying it's very hard to see them not getting a win those the lions so it could definitely still happen and then on the ram side like look you can't really blame them for going 10 zero down when they don't have the ball maybe their special teams coordinator is going to get a you know a nick around the ear from mcveigh about you know tightening up a bit there once they got the ball matt stafford was more or less able to eviscerate this detroit defense at will there's only one week where he hasn't found Cooper Cup for at least uh, like a 90 to 100 yards. And yeah, this was just a classic Rams offense, it felt like. It's not the perfect offense, but it's more than good enough to sweep up like 90% of the NFL at the moment. And for them, like I'm sure they'll take some defensive pointers in this game as well in terms of tightening it up and maybe not being so aggressive against these, uh, you know, not underestimating golf as much uh, in the early goings. But look, eventually the difference in class mattered. Like Jalen Ramsey intercepted Goff in a bad situation when they finally uh, were behind by a bit and they got the job done. So for the Rams, like, look, like they, they made it, they did it easier than Baltimore, but uh, overall, like, I think despite the Lions throwing everything at them, they basically get the job done. So. It is kind of surprising. That you, I, you kind of get the sense the Rams season isn't going as well as they expected, yet they are 6-1 and one and, and very much in contention. They had to grind this one out, but they did it, and that's the important thing. They, they are showing that they can win games that maybe in past seasons would have gotten away from them. And for the Lions, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think they're everyone's second or third favorite team at this point just because they have so much heart, but they suck so badly. They just can't <laughs> win games. Uh, and we're pulling for you, Dan Campbell. We want to see that. We want to we see that win on the board and we'll all be celebrating uh, when they uh, pull it off next up big big win for the cincinnati bengals on the road to the baltimore ravens 41 to 17 i i mean i know connor doesn't want to talk about the chiefs but you know i think he'd love to be here and talk about how good this bengals team is because this was a seriously impressive performance a really tight game early that then kind of turned into a blowout at the end as the bengals figured out the ravens defense and kind of ran away with it they go atop the afc north and behind our throwing display from joe burrow 460 16 yards, three TDs, an interception, which is utterly fearless. Really nice long throws all day long. Slings it to his favorite weapon, Jamar Chase. 201 yards and a touchdown. He looks like a real superstar. Some late running back TDs kind of salted the game away. On the other side, it was all Lamar, and unfortunately, he can't really do it on his own. He had 257 yards and a touchdown and 87 rushing yards, but he had a, a really good defensive display by the Bengals harassing him nonstop. They got five sacks. The Bengals now have more sacks in the first seven games of this season. They got in the entirety of last season. For the Ravens also, 
their random stable uh, of running backs was a non-factor uh, and they were just no match ultimately for the Bengals and this is a very big statement win for the Bengals because this shows they've now gone the road to both the Steelers and the Ravens this season and gotten big wins they are for real and and I think that they are a team that could go quite deep the Bengals they were looking for this kind of big win this kind of statement win they obviously kind of lost Green Bay in tough circumstances a few weeks ago we kind of thought oh you know, we still need to see them do it, and they certainly did it in this game. And the best thing about it is that they did it building on the two things that we love about the Bengals this season. Firstly, the fun, fun offense. Like the first few weeks where they were trying to get Mixon and kind of make him the centerpiece of the offense, completely forgotten. Now it's the Burrow, the Chase show. It's back to LSU times. Let's just sling it up, do what you want. Show us those balls, Burrow. And each week he's doing it more and more and more. And this week, like Jamar Chase was absolutely unstoppable. There was one uh, catch that he kind of made in like midfield, kind of did a spin, took out like three Baltimore defenders, and then ran 50 yards for the touchdown. Just absolutely unstoppable right now. And then, yeah, a couple of nice deep throws to the tight end Uzama to kind of finish them off, at the, to kind of get them going. And like this was a close game for most of the game. Like we're, we're talking about a game that was uh, 13 to 10 at the half, but just. I think the big thing for me with the Bengals is that even when they got a bit of a lead, they didn't back down. They kept going deep. They kept going aggressive. They kept going down the throats of the Ravens going, we're not going to try and like eke this out and just kind of do this, like, you know, get the win by being conservative. We're going to show you who we are. We're going to dominate you. We are the kings of the AFC North, at least for now. And we're going to keep doing it. And it's only when the game was really out of hand after Lamar had like uh, lost the game on downs a couple of times that they brought in the running backs and got a couple of nice TDs to make the score even more embarrassing for the Ravens. Uh, I love that. But the other thing we love about the Bengals is this defense. This defense is really, really good. Now, it's not a defense that has a bunch of stars. Like, it doesn't have, like, uh, Demarcus Lawrence or, or Jamal Adams or, or Jalen Ramsey. But it's a bunch of guys who are all working for each other. And there are a bunch of guys who don't give up on any single play. And I think Trey Hendrickson, for example, is, was their big free agent signing. And he isn't as splashy as some of the other guys that were signed in free agency. But he's a guy whose motor always keeps going, gets loads of uh, pressure sacks, gets loads of sacks from just keep going, keep working, do not give up on any single play. And the fact that this that, that just kind of feels emblematic of the entire way this defense has kind of come together here. Like you have guys like Sam Hubbard getting two and a half sacks. Larry Ogunjobi gets one and a half sacks. Uh, Hendrickson got his own sack. Like it's just a situation where all these guys obviously believe in this project. I think it's hard not to when you have an offense with Joe Burrow. I think when you have a, a team that's exciting, that has an identity and that's willing to push the envelope and, and like actually willing to kind of impose themselves, you get stuff like this as kind of uh, and the defense and it's just they're obviously doing a very good job there and yeah the defensive coordinator can certainly take a lot of credit for that uh, so yeah for me the Bengals right now really they're not just a good team they're a fun team and it's hard not to love that and yeah the system that they put against Lamar was very obvious it's kind of worked for some teams like uh, for example that uh, Detroit game where, where they nearly won basically contain Lamar just surround him don't give him a, a soft edge. Don't give him a gap in the middle. Just contain him. Keep him in the pocket. Let's see if he can beat us deep. And he, you know, had a couple of plays, and he's, he's obviously getting better at that this season. But if you're building your entire offense around that, it's just not consistent enough against a team that's putting up points at the rate that the Cincinnati Bengals were doing in the second half, and it was more than able to get it done. Like, 87 rush yards to Lamar is a bad day. So I think that gives an indication of, of how much work they had to do to get there. And, yeah, they got the rewards of the sacks as well. Comprehensive total performance for the Bengals 
playing into their identity with Joe Burrow of being an aggressive, keep-going offense and a defense that's disciplined and keeps working. And on the Baltimore side, like we know they're dealing with a huge amount of injuries. It's not that they played bad in this game. I think, in my opinion, just came against a team that's in a better position, that's uh, playing better, and they'll probably take away and they can still get a few wins. They'll continue to win down the stretch against the other teams in the NFL. But uh, yeah, I think for Beng- for the Bengals, this is a big shock and a big move in terms of where we think these teams could be at the end of the season in the AFC. Yeah, what I really liked about the Bengals was, was the, the kind of the fight they have. There was especially there was one moment that I think there was 27-17 when Burrow threw his interception picked off in the end zone you can't I was when I when that happened I got the sense of here comes the Ravens comeback the Bengals are gonna collapse the you know this this is the moment that the momentum swings but instead the Bengals were the one who scored two late touchdowns to kind of seal it off and that's the sign of a of a kind of a, a champion team a team that that is going to be very hard to stop is is even when things go against them they still they still do the right things they still make sure that they they stop the defense and they get the scores and they plow on and yeah we're gonna take some stopping and that AFC North is looking stronger and stronger uh, with every week with the Bengals potentially now looking like the strongest team. Uh, speaking uh, of the AFC North and a team that perhaps isn't as strong as they should be but are grinding it out, the, the Cleveland Browns hosted the Denver Broncos on Thursday Night Football and came away with a 17-14 win. Some way, I mean, the closeness of the scoreline probably doesn't really speak to the narrative of the game. The, the, the Browns really always had control of this game. The Broncos had basically two good drives in the entire game from which they scored touchdowns and, and not an awful lot else so the injury-ridden uh, Browns grinded it out and particularly a five-minute drive to, to kill the game at the end Dearness Johnson uh, running back steps into the, the, the Chubb and, and Hunt-shaped voids picks up 168 yards and a touchdown and carries Keenum stepping in for uh, Baker Mayfield 199 yards and a touchdown the offense looked at its best at, at the beginning very very nice opening drive where they just might have marched down the field without any kind of resistance and then at the end which, which seeing out um, the game they should have scored a lot a lot of more points in the middle of that uh, but they didn't which allowed the Broncos eventually to get going Teddy had 187 yards two touchdowns and interception very slow start again quite a poor interception it was a lot better in the second half of those two big drives Sutton was was always open and getting good he only 68 yards but a, a lot of kind of big throws Williams had 52 yards and a touchdown uh, but they couldn't capitalize on, on the mistakes the Browns made a couple, a couple of flags and a blocked kick ultimately the Broncos I just think just just weren't good enough to beat the Browns and it's a good sign that the Browns despite being injury uh, ridden despite have having a kind of a bad loss last week and a season which is still kind of kind of chugging along at three and three when they really ought to be in their minds probably a lot better than that that they got the win when they needed to to keep themselves in this because there's a, they're in a tough division it's going to be tough to get wins in the division so it's important to get as many wins outside the division and beat the teams they're supposed to beat and they did it in this one huge win for Cleveland like I talked about this last week in the previews as a wounded animal game they grounded out and they kind of operated what I would call like a, a shark offense as long as they were moving forward they were okay but anytime they move back they look like they're going to die in their ass pretty quickly but that's fine like you're using Dernish Johnson you're using Case Keenum you're you're having to deal with what you're uh, with what's available to you and though Case Keenum like he, you know he had a few moments when he was playing for Minnesota back in the day that you know he did some exciting stuff but he's generally been played in a fairly conservative mode he was basically about not making mistakes and I think that's the big thing about Cleveland under Kevin Stefanski is that they're a team that's gone from you know the lovable fuck-ups of the NFL to a team that has a plan and that usually executes it quite well like overall they have an identity they have a plan and they execute it well and in this game they do 
just enough to basically get them over it. Like, they dominated the first half of this game. That first drive, you were kind of hoping maybe they could build that and actually truly dominate the scoreline as well, but it wasn't to be because every time they got a flag, that, that kind of just killed drives them. Uh, and the occasional, like, uh, QB hit or TVL also did that. But really, the flags were the big thing that seemed to kind of pull them back just when you thought that they might assert themselves in this game. And the defense kind of did a very solid job as well. It, you know, there's a lot of hurt people in the defense, but most of the guys are playing through it and they're doing a solid job. And I think, you know, similar to the Bengals, if their defense can continue to ascend and get better over the course of the season, then that could be the difference between them fighting for the AFC North uh, title uh, or maybe just sneaking into the playoffs. Um, and it's going to be pretty tough in the uh, back end of the AFC playoffs, in my opinion, anyway. So uh, they can't afford any losses. For the Broncos, same old story. Teddy Bridgewater, he just seems to... He, he feels like a, like he feels a lot like Jalen Hurts. Like, these guys just don't do anything for long stretches of time, particularly early on. And then, you know, in the second half or going into the third, fourth, or fourth quarter, then suddenly they start doing stuff. And you're kind of going like, okay, good. You're, you are still fighting. You're still willing to play. You can make plays when defense is going more prevent on the other side. But, you know, it was a really bad interception in that game. He really... Like, I think that's the biggest issue with Teddy Bridgewater this year. These mistakes, turning the ball over. He's not the steady Teddy that I think the Broncos thought they were getting when they signed him to that contract contract and so it's just leaving in a situation to put you in a bit of a hole and then yeah even though you're coming back and playing well in the fourth quarter too often it ends up not being enough in these games against teams who aren't the three worst teams in the NFL. I think for the Broncos you know their season is, is in terminal decline of fields right now they're also in a very competitive division um, so I'm not really sure where they're going next season except perhaps the quarterback market uh, but for Cleveland huge win important win but probably not one that you need to uh Rewatch the whole game. Just stick on the first and last drive, and you feel that the Browns are actually a really good team. Yeah, the the Broncos' decision to to go with Teddy and Drew Locke instead of you know drafting a quarterback or trying to pick one up in the market over the offseason, I mean, is really coming back to bite them. They're just not very good. Uh, ultimately, I think that's the Broncos' problem. Their, their defense is decent, but they can be exploited. I thought they the Browns did a good job early on of exploiting defensive aggressiveness that, that they kind of got past the the rush and stuff like. Von Miller made a bit of a fool after. Talk about he's going to beat everyone up. <laughs> yeah, the Broncos are just, they're they are not a winning team, I think, ultimately. The, and the Browns hopefully are. Uh, interesting as well, I thought the Browns, that the running scheme, that the zone running, it does seem to just produce yards for running backs, no matter who's in there. Good that they could they could get it done without, without their two big guys behind it. And, and then finally, Connor, if you're listening, turn away now. Kansas City Chiefs at Tennessee That's Titans. <laughs> Run away from the sound. You can beat the sound waves. Anyway, yes, 27-3 to the Titans. That is correct. The Kansas City Chiefs under Pat Mahomes scored three points. The stat that, that really demonstrates how weird this game was is Henry had more passing touchdowns in this game than Pat Mahomes did, which I think says it all, really. This is the lowest score the Chiefs have ever had under Mahomes. Um, and they only just made the field goal as well. The field goal bounced off the off the off the pride as well. So uh, Chiefs really looking in a lot of trouble. But the Titans very good. They dominated first half. Tannehill two seventy six yards, two touchdowns, interception. Henry hit uh, didn't you know not not crazy numbers eighty six yards, but he did have the pass touchdown. Brown one hundred thirty three yards and a touchdown. The the really awful Kansas City Chiefs defense put to the sword. They were like twenty four nothing up quite early, and the game was over by the time the Chiefs got going. They scored basically and all their kind of the first few possessions and then it became a nothing second half where the the titans took the the half off and the chiefs can only score three points mahomes went off well he had 241 yards interception a fumble bunch of turnovers turnovers are really killing the chiefs right now and, and they're both 
they're sloppy, but they're also unlucky. I think I think they're just going through a bit of a bad stretch of luck as well as having problems on both sides um, of the ball. He was harassed throughout the entire game. The Tennessee defense got four sacks, nine QB hits. The, the Chiefs didn't cross the halfway line in, in the first half whatsoever, which is quite an achievement that, that surpasses what the Pats were able to do to the Chiefs in that famous AFC Championship game by quite some margin, culminating in a late sack that took Mahomes out of the game uh, and brought in Chad Henney, uh, who didn't do an awful lot else otherwise. So yeah, crisis time for the Chiefs, who are now three and four, beginning to, to kind of lose touch in their division with, with their at least two good teams in the Chargers and Raiders they are they are chasing the Tennessee Titans they've beaten the Bills and the Chiefs that the two big dogs in the AFC in back-to-back weeks they have told us that they are here to play and to forget about that Jets loss because that's not who they are who they are is teams that that dominate and beat the Chiefs in last week uh, in previews I was talking about how the Titans offense would be a problem for the Kansas City D and was but it was really surprising for me was how well the defense did against this Kansas City offense that's kind of where this game was won it was very surprising uh, to see Ronan. I'm not going to forget that Jets loss. I don't care how many games you win Tennessee. You're not, you're not getting away with losing to the Jets. Like, but look, like Tennessee, you know, two things. The defense I'll talk about in a minute. But I think the big thing for their offense is that they're getting healthy after obviously having a huge issues with Julio Jones and AJ Brown dealing with various ailments, some of them Chipotle uh, related. Although he had, since he, he since he got food poisoning from Chipotle, he's he's actually been great, AJ Brown. So maybe he should keep uh, keep going at that. <laughs> That's the secret like, to success. Yeah, yeah, like I think for Tennessee, the big thing for them is that they're not the one dimensional uh, offense that they had to be for a while there where they picked up a few wins by just riding Derrick Henry into the ground like they used Derrick Henry early in this game obviously had that lovely uh, fake uh, pass TD where the entire defense is expecting him to come in and he's like oh I'll plop it over the defense easy time is there anything that man can't do the big thing for them on offense as well is that I think the threat of Henry now that AJ Brown is back and Julio Jones played in this game he wasn't a huge factor but I think he definitely creates a stress in the defense as Tannehill is getting back to he's not quite back to where he was over the last couple of years where he seemed like he'd get over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns it felt like in previous years but he's not the error-prone quarterback that he was for uh, the first month or so of the season here. So I think for them, obviously, the quarterback is the most important position. I think they need Tannehill to get back to what he is, which is a really effective play-action quarterback who can take advantage of defensive matchups. Like, they're slowly building back up to the offense that we expected them to be coming into the season when they got Julio Jones. That's all looking good. And then the defense, yeah, like, look, like, I think the, the book is out on how to stop Patrick Mahomes, and that is to stop Tyree Kill and to stop Travis Kelsey. Really, Tyree Kill is the big one. If you can stop them having big plays, if you can force them to have to play conservatively to kind of take the five-yard check down, the Chiefs' offense is a completely different beast from what we saw when they were blowing everyone away over the last few seasons. So it kind of felt like in this game, we're seeing the culmination of a whole load of different trends. And Tennessee, under Mike Vrabel, had obviously done their homework. And even though they're not the most talented defense, they were able to execute a game plan to perfection. Basically give Kansas City the biggest beating that they've had uh, all, all season. Sometimes literally in the case of Mahomes getting a knee to the head and having to go off late in this game. So I think for, for Tennessee, they knew what they had to do and they executed that. And that's a huge step forward for them because too often under Vrabel, they've kind of fallen apart and they've been willing to give up that big play. But they knew what they needed to do. They shut down Hill. They kept Kelsey relatively quiet, kept him on short uh, yardage. One indication of how this offense was, Byron Pringle had the most yards for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's obviously not what they genuinely uh, succeeded at doing. And there is just an indication that Mahomes, there are sometimes plays 
that are open, that are, you know, conservative, like five, you know, five to ten yards, that are available, that are out there, and he's just not willing to do it. And he feels a little bit like Aaron Rodgers during his kind of middle years before we got to the LaFleur era, basically where he was always trying to make the big play. He's always like, well, every time I go outside the pocket, uh, I make a huge play. So why don't I just make that the entirety of the offense? It's like, look, that's fine, but you have Andy Reid as your offense. You have one of the best defensive minds in the NFL. If he schemed you up something, take it. Just take the opportunity, live to fight another day, get into manageable uh, you know, down and distances and third down, and just move the offense that way. They've shown flashes of being able to do that earlier this season, but it just feels that as things have got more and more pressured, and particularly as this defense puts them in worse and worse situations, that Mahomes isn't really being willing to just slice and dice his way down the, down, down the field and score defenses that way. You know, if you compare it to something like Tom Brady, who just always lives for the next down, always takes what's there, always knows exactly what he can t- what what's available, he needs to learn some of those skills if he wants to ascend and be able to survive in situations like this where the defense is letting him down and he's kind of having to do this. It's just... It's just the way of the future. They fig- they haven't figured him out. He's still an incredible quarterback, but if he's not willing to, to tamp down a bit on his worst excesses, there may be a few more performances like this. Yeah, especially this season kind of slipping away now if they don't start getting more wins on the board. And a lot a lot of work to do for this team. Also, I think their offensive line, which they've rebuilt in, in the offseason, was, was, was pretty terrible in this game and is probably not the answer that they're looking for. So yeah, work to do definitely for them. And now so that's the games we were interested in. And now for the, the games that were less interesting, go over to, to Ronan uh, for uh, the dump off. Look, Atlanta against Miami, another close game. But Atlanta, you're never getting into the actual previews and the reviews that we care about because you're a dumb team that makes no sense. Uh, but you did beat Miami 30-28. to uh, Youngway Koo gets a 36-yard winner to Kappa. You know, a very inconsistent game between inconsistent teams. Like Ryan, I think, is finding his groove a little bit after struggling early in the season. Over 300 yards, two touchdowns, two turnovers, which is unfortunate um, because the Atlanta Falcons, they were ahead and they obviously tried to give this game away. Uh, 27 to 14 in the fourth quarter and ends up being a, you know, needing a last minute kick. I think the big thing for Arthur Smith is that they're winning that game instead of losing it. And as a Falcons fan, you're kind of, okay, they, they, they did the Falcons thing, but they won. So I'm okay. I'm okay with this. Let's just move forward and pretend that. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, but the thing for Atlanta right now, uh, I think it's the most exciting, is that Kyle Pitts in the game in London, and uh, this week looks like an absolute monster. Catching balls that he has no right to catch, looking like uh, like a Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss-type playmaker on the outside. He's not a tight end, but he's a wide receiver one who is absolutely killing the defenses right now. He actually genuinely looks like an absolutely ridiculous talent and threat. So if you're an Atlanta fan, like, look, this season probably isn't going to end in the playoffs. Um, albeit you now have a slight chance after winning this, but you certainly found someone I think who could be genuinely like a, a Hall of Famer in Kyle Pitts. On the other hand, we go over to Miami. Tua showed some upside in kind of his comeback attempt. He ended up with four touchdowns, but his two interceptions were, were quite ugly, particularly the one earlier in this, and his mistakes are kind of costly, but I would say that Miami right now, all aspects of their play doesn't make sense. Their defense is bad. The run game doesn't exist. Their offensive line is bad. So even though Tua is making mistakes, I don't put it all on him. This just feels like a team that's regressing very, very quickly. And now you have to have major questions about the future of the Brian Flores project in Miami. Next up, Washington at Green Bay, 10-24. Washington, you played yourself. You got three points from four second-half red zone trips as, as Heineke just you know, had like some solid moments earlier in this game. Um, he looked okay, made some solid rushes. We saw him outside the pocket rushing a bit. That looked good. 
But then in the second half, mistake after mistake after mistake, ugly pit that, that killed him, failing in goal line and short situations. With the highlight, of course, being when he was rushing the ball, had a touchdown, literally no one around him. He then like fell forward, kind of like diving forward. But under the new rules, that actually meant that he was giving himself up. And because his knee hit the ground, they basically said, oh, that play is dead on literally like the one inch line, basically. Like that happened to Josh Allen like uh, early in the season when the game was already out of hand. He should have learned from that. And it was just very emblematic of where Washington were going this day. There were just like so many moments of madness that absolutely killed any chance they had of a, of a comeback. Because I think if, if they had made this closer, Green Bay would have gone up another gear, but it kind of felt like Green Bay were like, let, let them just roll around in the dirt and screw up their own lives, as Rodgers was just kind of content to sit back. Um, he got sacked a few times, but uh, 274 yards, three touchdowns. I think the highlight was probably that first touchdown on 41, where he rushed to his right and then just threw across his body to the left to Devontae Adams, who's the one guy you should be tracking in those scramble situations but look no one throws across their body and succeeds well Aaron Rodgers does it and then you know they didn't really have a run game their defense was giving up yards but not points Green Bay kind of just won because Washington lost this game it's Philly at Las Vegas 22 to 33 look Philly got a few scores to make this feel a little closer it was 7 to 30 going into the fourth but Philadelphia just had a horrible horrible game until those kind of those consolation scores they had a special teams fumble that basically allowed the Vegas Raiders to rack up like a, a bunch of points that put Jalen Hurts in a complete hole and from that point on it basically didn't feel like a game look I think for, for the Raiders car it, like now that they put like with Bisaccia he's putting him back in the in the driving seat if you pardon the pun and he's throwing it deep and that's working really well and then that's opening up the run game um, where they had 119 yards two touchdowns like five yards to carry I think that's the template they need to do they, they can basically think of themselves as kind of a Chiefs like team except that it works at the moment on the other side Philly they're inconsistent they don't really work and they show up for like one quarter and they're already you know the, the garbage time points don't count for much in my opinion Indy at San Francisco 30 to 18 a pretty grim uh, Sunday night football uh, it was very sodden wet contest Wentz did just enough 173 yards three touchdowns he had a fumble as well though he had a few near misses that could have easily been like pick sixes but well, well you know he did enough he didn't screw up too much look Jonathan Taylor is the engine of this offense he had 120 yards of touchdown keep giving it to Taylor and you'll keep winning games the defense on the other side it, it did a good job of controlling this game after kind of giving up a lot of big plays to Eli Mitchell the running back for San Francisco at 170 yards touchdown most of that in the first couple of drives but I think the big story here is that Jimmy G you know, if you pardon the expression, was washed out in this game. He had three turnovers, and as I said, as the game went on, he just seemed to get more and more frustrated and more and more useless. And the only thing he had go from is that Debo Samuel continues to be a baller for them. So I think the calls for Trey Lance to come in are only going to continue to grow as he continues to play badly and the playoff chances of this team continue to fade into the distance. Monday Night Football was equally grim, 13 to 10. New Orleans win a game that you can definitely just miss and not think about ever again. Geno Smith had one play early on that went for a 96-yard touchdown, and then there was like about 100 yards for the rest of the game. They, like they weren't helped the Seahawks by the fact that they missed two field goals, so you know they definitely could have won this game. But look, the Saints see they showed up in the second half. They had five sacks. They only allowed for 200 yards, and Jameis Winston avoided making big mistakes. He's not the Jameis Winston we remember. He's a very different, more conservative beast. But he got the touchdown, and he's feeding Alvin Kamara, who had 128 yards and a touchdown in the passing game, and about 50 yards rushing. So it's a weird 
feeling to see both these teams be so completely different from who we expected to be based on previous seasons. But for the New Orleans Saints, they at least get you know, consolation of getting a win and still staying relevant in the NFC playoff hunt. Chicago at Tampa Bay, 3-38. Look, Tom Brady showed up and had four touchdowns. It was pretty easy for him, <laughs> including a 600 touchdown. Uh, and the bit, like, like the most interesting thing about this game is apparently the negotiations between the fan who got the ball from Mike Evans, who didn't know it was his 600 touchdown for Brady, and member of staff. I think it came out to like two Brady jerseys, a signed ball, a Mike Evans jersey, season tickets for the rest of the season, and like, like a $500 or $1,000 credit in the Tampa Bay store. That's the most interesting thing about this game. Uh, other, Because the only thing that really happened in this game that Justin Fields got absolutely annihilated six turnovers three picks three fumbles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers says he had the shortest field constantly again and again and again like Leonard Fournette had to do something early in this game to get that first touchdown but after that it was just Justin Fields giving Tampa Bay free scores for Evans who got three of them and Godwin who got one of them Chicago just looked like a lost team I know they have three wins but they just look like a lost team Houston and Arizona there was a very temporary moment in this game in the first quarter where Houston were up 2-0 and I was thinking, what a great game that would be. But unfortunately, reality asserted itself very quickly after that. Kyler, yeah, he had 271 yards, three touchdowns. The rush game got going, six yards to carry. The defense event down on Davis Mills, like two sacks. They got a fumble out of him. They got 160 yards uh, allowed total. Not a great day for a Houston fan. Mills is a non-factor. I think Terod Taylor is expected back. Uh, sooner or later I think they could definitely do with that he looks so much better in those first couple of weeks also it's not completely Davis's fault he has no rush attack he has no defense except a little bit that they had early on in this game you know they keep making mistakes they still have flags they still have drops Jets at New England just a spiteful win by by Belichick who just gotta hates, love that spite <laughs> he just hates the Jets like Matt Jones he got his first 300 yards today well, hey. and you know Harris the running back got over yards and two touchdowns but they just kept laying it on when this game was already over. They already killed the opposing quarterback. We obviously talked about Zach Wilson going out of this game early. And then they, you know, like they kind of got two picks out of Mike White, the most generic man of all time. Yeah, it was just spite. And they just kept running it up and then giving touchdowns to J.J. Taylor for no good reason. Get Brian Hoyer in there. Why not? Yeah, it's just, it's just an embarrassment for the Jets. Very Adam Gase Jets era and just nothing to hang their hat on. Michael Carter, the rookie running back, got over 100 yards in total. Um, that's nice. But other than that, just New England being absolute bastards. You love to see it as much as a New England fan, Sean. Because <laughs> you don't get I, to join us often these days. Yeah, I mean, beating up the Jets, is, I think, is going to become an annual or biannual uh, you know, moment of greatness or happiness for, for past fans. I love particularly when they'd already scored 47 points. And, you know, there was like three minutes left. Belgium was still getting to throw long balls. Just get that 50, get those 50 points on the board. It was just like, it really was this. It's it's evil, but like, we look, Belgium is, is not the morally most, most morally good person in the universe. And the more he <laughs> leans into his evilness, the, the more I like him, the more he's willing to be himself. And spite scoring points in New York Jets is 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 Bill Belichick just enjoying himself and I'm and I'm happy to see it. Finally Carolina at the Giants 3 to 25. The only glorious thing about this game is it was 3 to 5 at half time and you're going that could be a glorious game there but unfortunately or fortunately if you're a Giants fan Daniel Jones found a little bit of a groove he made smart runs he's making good plays out of the pocket to whatever's left up there to receiver core in this case Slayton, Ingram and Pettis but I think the big story here of course is Sam Darnold got pulled because he was crap and he's been crap for multiple weeks 111 yards an interception awful the only good thing from him is that PJ Walker came in and was actually worse 3 out of 14 33 yards 
Um, and look, this was just a game where the Giants' defensive front was eating and eating and eating. Williams and Olajari were the stars, but they got six sacks, 10 QB hits in total um, on a pair of very reticent, inconsistent quarterbacks. So, yeah, for Carolina, the, the undefeated season is quickly forgotten. For the Giants, they, you know, hang around, maybe get a couple more wins, but, you know, they're probably going towards 500 at best. Yeah, that's the off dump off for this week. Thanks for that, Ronan. Hopefully next week's games will have a greater variety of good games uh, than this week's. Uh, so now, yeah, we'll turn to, to next week's previews. So we start with Thursday Night Football, and this is my game of the week, and it's a big one. It's the 6-1 and Green Bay Packers going to the 7-0 and Arizona Cardinals, huge seeding implications in the NFC, obviously, coming out of this. I had originally gone for Green Bay because I think Aaron Rodgers was, was about to, to, you know, lay his dick on the table. But with Devante Adams out, I've decided to go for Arizona and we've gone for Arizona across the board. Obviously, the Cardinals are the most one of the most interesting teams in football right now because it's not quite clear how they're winning other than the sheer talent of their quarterbacks and the, the ability to make crazy plays week on week. Their offense is just uh, unleashed chaos, but it seems to be working. They're getting like 35, 40 points um, a week. What's surprising is how good their defense is, kind of competitive, getting big plays, um, looking like a good complement to a team that scores a lot of points. On the other side, obviously, Green Bay Packers. Rodgers is come to play this season. The big question was how much effort he would put in. I think he's 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 in hate he's in hate spite mode as opposed to on the beach mode, which is good. And obviously, good connection with Adams that will be missing for this game. But there's there's a lot of good stuff going on for the Packers. But I think without Adams, I don't think they're going to be able to keep pace in what could be a shootout. I think the Cardinals are going are going to run up the score here. Um, but it could be it could be interesting one if Rogers gets gets in the mood. We could definitely see an awful lot of points in this one. I think obviously if Adams is here, you would definitely give Green Bay more of a chance. I think, you know, for me, the big thing on both sides is that they both have very inconsistent defense. I think Green Bay's defense has definitely taken a step back uh, since uh, Gere Alexander went out, but they're not a bad defense. Like, you know, they made some pretty important, especially opportunistic plays against that Washington offense, but the Arizona offense is a completely different beast. And I think the big thing about the Arizona offense is how diverse it is. Like, this isn't the, the Andre Hopkins show anymore. He's just one part of the five, six, seven different players that they get involved every week. And when Zach Ertz got his touchdown this week, and they were obviously looking to get him involved as well. So, you know, you have all these different weapons. It's such an interesting offense, and Kyler Murray isn't having to run around or, or jumping up to, to DeAndre Hopkins, and it's just a completely different uh, setup from last year. So, it'll be interesting to see what Green Bay are able to do, if anything, to kind of slow that down. Um, because there have been moments where the Arizona offense has kind of stuttered or kind of gone weird for moments, but uh, at the end of the game, they've usually racked up enough points to get a win. So I think Arizona have to be favored here. And then, yeah, like obviously Green Bay side, like I think it'd be really interesting to see what they look like without Devontae Adams. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they try to get Aaron Jones involved more, who's kind of been a little bit quiet, well, certainly last week, or whether to get an AJ Dillon's also been effective in spot duty, uh, helping out there. So I wonder if Green Bay will go to a more run-heavy mode, try to control this clock, and not just lean on you know Aaron Rodgers to do magic stuff for the entire game. I think to some extent that could be a more interesting uh, like kind of clash of styles. But look. Uh, Arizona have to be favoured right now. They are the last undefeated team. And yeah, without Devontae Adams, I think Green Bay in the past have not been the same kind of monster they have been otherwise on the offensive side. Next up, LA Rams uh, at Houston Texans. We've gone for Rams across the board, Ronan. Uh, Texans bad uh (laughs) they they might get tarod taylor back so they might actually fight a little bit but uh, (laughs) 
there is very little hope for the, the Houston Texans. They are a team that's, uh, you know, they were bad going into the season. They've lost players to injuries. They've given away players. Yeah, I don't see how they can stand up against a, an efficient, well-oiled machine like the LA Rams. Next up, Carolina Panthers at the Atlanta Falcons. We've gone for the Falcons across the board, which, I mean, if we'd been asked maybe two or three weeks ago, we'd probably all have picked the Panthers, which just kind of shows how far the Panthers have fallen in the last few weeks. I mean, from on the Atlanta side, I mean, they're just a very boring, mediocre team. Matt Ryan is one, is the epitome of a, of a player who used to be a star, but isn't anymore. He's still producing decently and he has the odd good game, but there's nothing flashy or exciting about them. The, the only thing the Falcons have going for them is, as, as Ronan talked about in the reviews, Kyle Pitts looks very exciting he's not a tight end not not even mildly a tight end he looks end. like Calvin <laughs> Johnson he, lo- he looks like this big tall beast who if you throw the ball anywhere within like a, a five yard vicinity of he just magics to like squid the ball out of the air and just like have it stick into his hands he's he is a freak and, and I think you know you have to be excited but yes if you're into fantasy I suppose the fact that he's dead in the tight end is good because there's less value yes. there useful yes, I suppose not, yeah, yeah. not a t- tight end are not X receivers. You can't do that. That's just not the way it works. Carolina yeah. are bad, yeah, I assume, is what you're going to say next. Yeah, so Atlanta are mediocre, occasionally capable of doing things. Carolina are on a downslope of pretty epic proportions. Sam Darnold is having his own on-field meltdown that is happening over progressive weeks, uh, and the longer Matt Rule keeps him in the game and doesn't see what his other options are, that the worst is going to be for the Panthers. Their defense is still pretty good. I mean, I mean, it hasn't quite lived up to the early season hype, but they they will cause the Falcons some trouble, you imagine. But I just I can see multiple Darnold's uh, mistakes in this or being pulled or, or you know something not going right. The Panthers, the momentum is entirely against them, whereas the Falcons are just chugging along. And what the Falcons have been doing this season is winning these kinds of games, winning games against teams who aren't playing well or aren't doing good, just doing enough to get the the points on the board. I think they're going to chug their way to a seven or eight win season just based on that, but. Yeah, that's why I would I'd give the edge to the Falcons uh, here. Yeah, the Falcons, like they should win this game. I think based on where Carolina right now, though the Carolina defense continues to be solid, so I don't see it as a blowout. But Atlanta seemed to you know contrive to make every single game close, presumably to make Arthur Smith train him up to not become Dan Quinn and actually <laughs> be able to close out games. Because every time it cuts to him during these crazy endings that Atlanta get themselves involved with, he just has the look of a man whose entire brain is going, "Don't fuck up! Don't fuck up! Don't fuck up! Don't fuck up!" And to be fair to him, except for one game. He hasn't fucked up against these kind of more tomato can teams. And look, if Atlanta can win this, then I think at least you can see that there's progress there and that they're going to build something on their Arthur Smith. I don't know if that's going to be with Matt Ryan, but hey, look, if Matt Ryan can have like a four to five thousand yard season, um, two to one, like TD to interception ratio, they're going to get a pretty nice pick if they trade him away in the offseason anyway. So win-win overall. But yeah, we'll give Atlanta the, the favourite here because Carolina, as you say, just feel like a team that's going to collapse utterly until CMC rides in and, and saves their asses. Exactly, exactly. Next up, uh, AFC East matchup, the Dolphins at the Bills. Bills coming back uh, off the bye. We've gone for Bills across the board because they're, you know, a very good team who are playing quite well. Obviously, the, the defeat against the Titans hurt, but they were always in that game and it was only that, that kind of that late decision to go for it on fourth and one that kind of took the game away from them. They're firing on offense, maybe not as much as they used to last season, but, uh, but Allen and Diggs are still capable of pulling out the magic and their defense is particularly strong this year. For the Dolphins, there's just not a lot going there that the, the two led offense is not producing much to the point where the ownership are now looking at, at other Deshaun Watson shaped uh, options uh, at quarterback and this team from winning a, a tight opening 
game against the Pats have now lost six straight, including losing to, to the Jags and contriving to lose to the Falcons when they really should have won that game. So I, I just can't see the Dolphins competing here. I think the, the Bills are a much better team and they really ought to get the win. These are the kind of wins that the Bills usually do pick up. They're, they're not a team to drop again at games against bad teams. Next up then is uh, Ronan's game of the week, uh, AFC South matchup Titans at uh, at the Colts. Connor and Ronan have gone for the Titans. I have gone for the Indianapolis Colts. I will explain why after Ronan gives me his uh, breakdown uh, of the match. Well, this feels a lot like their I think it was a week week three matchup where we're like, okay, Indianapolis they they were like winless at that point. Tennessee were questionable, but they I picked up a win, I think a win or two at that point. And they're kind of going like Indianapolis if they want to do anything in this division, they're going to have to beat the Titans. Uh, and this, of course, then is is round two already. We're only in week eight at this point for this preview. So. Yeah, this is really, really important for the Colts. So if they have anything left in the tank, if they have ideas lying around, if they have anything that they, you know, like secret, like, you know, pictures of Derrick Henry doing something bad, this would be the time to use them because this is your division season at stake. Tennessee, we doubted them. We won't forget the Jets. I never, never. Like, you lost to the Jets. You can't take that away. Doesn't matter how many great teams you beat, you still lost to the Jets. But, like, look, we know what they have. They have... Now it feels like two plans. Like the first plan, which is what they were using up to last week, is the Henry. King Henry, ride him into the ground, just 150 yards, multiple touchdowns, just keep going. And to be fair, that worked against Indianapolis in their earlier matchup this season. He had over like 150 yards. He was dominant in that game. Indianapolis, they, they, they tightened up after giving a lot of yards early to Eli Mitchell, but Tennessee and Derrick Henry is a different level. Like, if you're going to stop him, you're going to have to bring your A game. I'm not sure that Indianapolis have that in their in their back pocket right now, but I think the big thing for Tennessee is that we also saw the other aspect of their defense, albeit against a very bad Kansas City defense, where we saw the pass game actually come to life. We saw A.J. Brown do well. Like, Julio Jones has had sparks of moments. It would be great to see him be more involved going forward. And then the defense actually did something this week. If they can just be a middle-of-the-road defense, they don't even need to build up what they did against Hans City. They need to be middle of the road. Then I think overall the difference in talent and particularly the difference in terms of offensive explosiveness means that Tennessee have to be favoured in this game even on the road. But yeah, like if Indianapolis have anything in the tank, John, they definitely need to bring it out now. So tell me why they're going to do the un- unforeseen. Well, I'll be honest with you. It is it is mostly a, a kind of a feel. I, I like I like I feel that the Titans are overrated because of the kind of the two big wins that they come off, and they do have the momentum from that. And obviously, they they are clicking a little bit. But I do feel that they're they're not a team that that is quite as good as they're making out to be. Whereas the Colts have been getting decent performances and have been slowly getting the results their way as well. I mean, they they should have beaten the Ravens a few weeks ago. That they beat what is supposedly a pretty decent 49ers team last week, although they're probably not you know, showing it all that much. I think when behind Taylor that they have, you know, a game plan they can build. I think Wentz hasn't been, I mean, he's not been good, but he's not been particularly terrible either this season. I think there's just, and it's also a divisional matchup where these teams are going to know each other a lot. And I think the Titans might be a team where if you know them very well, you know how to get at their tendencies. If you can take away the Henry option or reduce it that much and force Tannehill to beat you through the air, I think they become a, a loss less effective. And also, I still think this Titans defense is vulnerable and, and liable to to break down at any moment. So I, I'm just, in my head, I could just, I could see us putting Tennessee across the board, but I was looking, I was like, you know, this is the kind of game the Colts are going to win. The Titans are going to come off this high and get bogged down in a divisional matchup and the, the Colts will find a way um, to scrape it out. It's just a feeling that I have based on it. I, I do agree with you. I think the Titans are, are marginally the more talented team, but but I think the Colts 
they do also need to win. The season is basically over for the Colts if they don't win this because they're not getting a wild card spot, especially given how strong some of the other divisions in the AFC are. So they have to win the division. And if they have to win the division, they've got to beat the Titans. And this is their last chance to do it. So I think they'll be really up for it. Next up, Bengals at the Jets. After all the hyping of the Bengals, we better hope that they win this one. We've gone for Bengals across the board because they are a really good team playing really well on both sides of the ball. The Jets are a really bad team playing really badly uh, on both sides of the ball. The Jets are also likely to have Joe Flacco under center, who, you know, is is well past his prime. I just can't see the Jets winning this game. I mean, it is the kind of a game where you could maybe see, based on narratives and such like that, the Bengals getting bogged down in, in a game where they get beaten, maybe in a last-minute kick or whatever. But I just... It's so hard to see how the Jets are going to win this game. And it's, it would require the Bengals to play incredibly badly to even make this competitive. Next one then up, uh, Philly Eagles at Detroit Lions. Um, myself and Ronan have gone for the Eagles to win, whereas Connor has banked the Lions to finally pick up that uh, win that they've been threatening for the last few weeks uh, to actually manage to get over the line. Philly's defense has issues. They were particularly bad against the run last week. So if Detroit can get the run game going make life easy on Goff, then maybe they can get going. And Philly's offense is an incredibly inconsistent, so we'll need to see something from Philly where they can actually move the ball against a bad Detroit defense. But look, like Detroit, they're just such a hurt team right now. There's just so much going against them that Philly, even though they've been very disappointed in the last three weeks or so, um, I think they should have enough to get this done. It does kind of feel, though, if the Lions are going to win a game, it's going to be a game like this against a mediocre team that's not playing well. Next up, this probably would be Connor's game of the week if he was here. It's a big AFC North matchup, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns. We've gone for Browns across the board. Obviously, this is a situation in which when you have teams like the Ravens and the Bengals leading your division, you kind of have to, to win the games and you have to stay alive. Both these teams are kind of hovering around the 500 mark. The Browns are banged up a bit, um, but they do have the psychological edge of, of the AFC playoff win last season. The Pittsburgh Steelers really don't have much of an offense um, at the moment, although I think Ben is getting better in the last few weeks, so it could be interesting to see if he kind of keeps that momentum going. Najee Harris on the ground is an option there, but the Browns are got a pretty decent run defense, so, so they're, they're not going to give it a lot there. I just, yeah, I just kind of have the sense that there is, I think it'll be close, but I do think the Browns um, are going to edge it on the basis uh, of their defensive strength and the fact that the Steelers probably aren't going to score a lot of points, whereas the Browns are probably going to have enough options going forward that they should get enough points on the board in this one. Yeah, they're kind of like uh, Randy Marsh uh, in that episode of Park. It's like, I didn't hear any bell. I thought this was America. You know, they're down to their pants. They got nothing, but they're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep plugging away. And then they're going to embarrass the Pittsburgh Steelers one more time. I think they're, they're expected to get Nick Chubb back. Obviously huge. Um, I think they should just hand the ball off to Nick Chubb for the entire game, even if Baker Mayfield is back, um, because Baker Mayfield, like his shoulder, basically doesn't, his non-throwing shoulder doesn't exist. Future no for Maker, don't try and, you know, stop uh, interception returns. Like we know Cleveland, they have something. We know as they get healthier this season, they have a peak, they have an identity. That means that they could be a genuine contender in the AFC. So we want them to keep winning these games, uh, even in these tough circumstances. I think as they get healthier, Baker Mayfield with the week off, maybe can, you know, consider and adapt around what he is right now given the injury and Nick Chubb is just a, is a superstar Pittsburgh side like look they're just such a limited team Big Ben can't throw it deep like maybe more than once or twice a game to Deontay Johnson like that seems to be the only explosive element they do have Najee Harris who's been really good in that Belco row but they're just such a 
they're just such a limited team in terms of what they could be in this game going forward that you just aren't that interested to see what they can be. But look, they're Pittsburgh. They get wins when they shouldn't get wins. They're going against a Cleveland team that is hurt, so you can't dismiss them out of hand. And that defense we know with TJ Watt and the rest can make quarterbacks' lives particularly harsh. So for me, this this is setting down for a grim AFC showdown where both these teams aren't going to get you too excited given where they are right now, but both teams will give you 110%. Yeah, I do think there is there is a bit of a hometown bias. We just kind of want the Browns to win games, so we pick them to win at this point. Next up then, two teams that we don't really, can't quite figure out if they're good or bad, or whether they are as good or bad as they look. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears. We've gone for the Niners across the board, but honestly, the either of these teams could win this game and you could understand why. The Bears have the better record somehow, despite the fact that they're clearly not a better team than the 49ers. Bears have no offense at the moment really to, to speak of. They tried the Andy Dalton thing, it didn't work. Now they're trying the Justin Fields thing, it's not working. So they're going to be relying on their defense, which is decent but not quite decent enough to carry a team that, that kind of wants to be competitive at this side. So, so the Bears have problems as a team and somehow still have three wins on the board which is, which is hard to fathom. The Niners on paper look a much better team than the Bears, but they're just not excellent executing the defeat to the Colts obviously something's going to hurt them that was a kind of a get right game that they didn't get right with so now this is probably their last chance there the division is slipping away a little bit there four games behind the Cardinals now so I mean their their division is out of touch basically at this point so it's a wild card they're chasing and these are the kind of games that they need to win if they do this is the Niners season on the line and I think they maybe just scrape behind because they have the better coaching in play but I yeah the Niners are not as good as they should be and it'll be interesting to see if they can get a win over what is quite a limited Bears team. Now moving into into the late window on Sunday, uh, the Patriots at the Chargers, and this feels like one of those Patriots moral victories. This feels like uh, Belichick's going to scheme it up, restrict Herbert, and he's going to look at what the Ravens did to Herbert, and he's going to be like, I can get him to 6.2, and then they're, they're going to end up losing 1918 or something, because uh, that feels like the way this season is going, that the Pats are, when they play good teams uh, and Belichick gets out his defensive wizardry, and they're quite competitive, and they almost pull out wins. You think about the Cowboys, you think about the books. They almost pull out the wins, but they always fail, which is why we've gone across the board, Chargers, uh, in this one, Fitz. Yeah, but the Chargers must be licking their wounds. They went into the bye after getting absolutely hockeyed off the field like Baltimore. And, of course, in the New England side, you're going, you know, Bill Belichick furious, taking notes, learning how to destroy this Justin Herbert guy, who he's probably jealously what wants to have access to, coveting him. Not that Mac Jones has been bad. Like, Mac Jones is a very Mac Jones-like quarterback. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, <laughs> he has they, to find his own position at this but, point. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, the, the, the team is adapting around him, and they're turning them into what they are, which feels like a around a 500 team. But, yeah, they're going to get a big test with the Chargers, who will obviously want to make a statement here. They'll obviously want to assert that they are actually one of the best teams in the AFC but in New England they go against one of the trickiest trickier foes in the NFL in terms of actually trying to do that I think for the Chargers there's two big things that they want one is to just have a, a like get the offense going avoid the kind of situation where Justin Herbert was kind of put under pressure maybe try and get Eckler involved a bit more early you know get some like easier passes just get the offense going and the other thing is that their run defense this year has been absolutely atrocious we saw New England have a pretty effective run game against the Jets they need to tighten that up they can't afford to be giving up 100 to 200 yards rushers every single game they need to do something I believe it's something to do with the scheme in terms of why they're doing that but you know, there are limits to what isn't acceptable here. So for the Chargers, 
yeah, if they lose this game, then questions will start to be asked. But they, they should have enough quality. They have Justin Herbert. They, they should be able to beat this you know, New England team, which just has a, a certain cap on its, its upper limit at the moment. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the Pats are limited. Let, let's just, let's just, yeah. Yeah, I have to accept that. It's very difficult for Pats fans to get my head around that still season and a half later. Next up, certainly the most exciting game of the week, the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Seattle Seahawks. I don't even know if Seahawks fans would be watching this one. Uh, Seahawks cross the board, Fitz. Yeah, like, look, like, like Russell Wilson apparently is getting the pin out of his finger this week. I'm sure there'll be rumours that he'll be coming back this week, but based on what we, we know, that's unlikely. Um, so this is really uh, the final test, well, probably near the final test for the Geno experience, where, like, is this going to turn into be a complete disaster where they lose to Jacksonville because uh, the offence literally does nothing and the defence isn't able to kind of contain a relatively mediocre Jacksonville offence. Definitely plausible, definitely could happen, but we think in Lumen Field they can eke out this win because Jacksonville are, are very bad at football. Now, we did see some signs of hope against Miami when they won in London. They showed a few things. They're running the ball effectively with James Robinson, something which I have obviously been like, well done. Trevor Lawrence, because of that, looks like he's getting a bit more opportunity on play action to actually spread the ball out. But they're just such a wholly inconsistent team and their defense is quite bad that we'll just about shade Seattle here. Uh, next up, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Another interesting divisional matchup. There's quite a, quite a good few tasty divisional games this week. Uh, note to the NFL, spread these out more. This one's an interesting one. Three times last year they met and had three very tasty games. This season a little bit different. Obviously, the Saints don't have Drew Brees anymore. They're still trying to find their way offensively. Sean Bates has managed to put shackles on Jameis Winston. It means he's making fewer mistakes, but he's also less explosive. How that balance works out is going to be interesting to see. But the Saints are 4-2, and two, and if they win this game, they will be basically a game behind the, the Bucs, and, and that division uh, will be open. But the Bucs, are, they, look, they look really good at the moment. Tom Brady is playing at an insane level. He's playing at an insane level if he was 29, and he's he's, he's 44. Like it's, it's actually he's having a historically good season for, for a guy who should be well into retirement is, is mind-boggling. Both these teams will know each other very well. Peyton's going to have some interesting schemes and plans for the books you know that but the, the books i feel they might have solved the saints problem last year and, and until they get thrown new problems by this team i think that they have both in terms of momentum in terms of the quality players and in terms of their knowledge of the opposition i think you've got to give it to the books here and we've gone for them across the board i think it's hard to pick against the books right now but i think the the most interesting thing that you said there is like you know they're playing a relatively conservative offense on the side of the new orleans saints uh, and you're kind of going, okay, like it makes sense. They're grinding it out. They're using a lot of Al Kamara. But we know the issue with in Tampa Bay is that their defensive backs basically are all injured and they're missing a bunch of them. And I expect they think they'll still be missing some of them in this game. Uh, Richard Sherman might be back, but he'll probably be limited. And so you got D Delaney back there and you got like Ross Cockrell and whatever. So technically, based on the matchups, you should be going. Hey, Jameis, remember you were on the books and you just like fucked it up in the air and saw what happened? They should probably just do that. Like they got Traquan, they got Traquan Smith last week, though he didn't do much. They got a couple of guys who are okay deep. Like they're not great names. They're obviously waiting for Michael Thomas to come back, but maybe that should just be the plan. Just like let Jameis be Jameis. Let him have his uh, hashtag revenge game, and let's just see what happens. Because 
otherwise, I think if they try to play close to the ground, particularly like trying to run the ball with Camaro is probably going to be a fool's errand. You're going to get involved in the passing game. That's where he's much more effective, it feels like right now. If you don't take it to the books, they're going to take it to you and they're going to absolutely stomp you out when it's a division game. There's been some games that you can obviously tell that they're kind of like, eh, whatever, we're going to win this game. But I think against the Saints, a division rival, they'll be well up to kind of do what they need to do to pick them away and assert that they are the cream of the crop in that division. Because if they lost this game, New Orleans would sneak back into contention. But yeah, Tom Brady, the rest of the team, they're all going to be very ready. I think they're expecting to get Gronk back. They should probably get Antonio Brown back. Um, So outside of that, they're the same team that won the Super Bowl last season. They're just an incredibly effective machine and Tom Brady will not be denied. So I think you have to pick uh, the Bucs, but let's leave New Orleans attack that secondary. Let Jameis fly. Yeah, that is an interesting point there that the, the, the Saints can't really use the run game, which is their strength. So they have to basically turn to win to Jameis's arm. And that could go very well. It could go very badly. Um, and be interesting to see which way it, it goes. Uh, next up, Washington football team uh, at the Denver Broncos, two teams that are pretty meh. Myself and Connor have gone for Denver. You've gone for Washington Fizzle. This is two teams that are just like, you disappoint me. You, you make me hurt because you're like, you you got talent. You've done things occasionally this season, but every time that you invest even a motive open in them, they just turn into poop, basically. Washington are just all over the shop. Their defense is finally showing up to some extent. They're getting sacks, they're getting turnovers, but they're also giving up a whole bunch of yards every week. You know, it doesn't matter how flashy your statistics are if you're giving up the yard statistic and the point statistic. And on the other hand, Denver, their vaunted defense has done very little this year, and Teddy Bridgewater only plays in the fourth quarter, uh, usually when they're well behind. Uh, and Heineke on their side for Washington is just like, played some, like, made some progress against Green Bay right until he didn't and just started doing absolutely ridiculously dumb things. Um, so for both these teams they could definitely do with a win to predict who would actually put it together and actually do something and actually be consistent for four quarters. I have no idea. So I pick Washington but Denver are equally legitimate choice. Next up it's the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. What a surprise. Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, we've gone for Cowboys across the board. Obviously the Cowboys are actually quite good this year particularly Dak is having a, a, a real kind of career year for him. Their defense is, is not as bad as it was they've turned to more Dan Quinn has turned them more to like turnovers as a way to escape the fact that they're just not very good at stopping teams and so they're riding that train you know they're getting the points on the board and they're not conceding enough points to lose games so um, they're looking quite good Uh, the Vikings are just oh I hate them uh, they really just bore the shit out of me. You are Kirk wrong. Cousins. They're not going to be bad. They're going to make the wild card. There's nothing you can do to stop this, Sean. Oh no, I, I'm holding out for eight and eight and one. I think I think they are they are the team that is the best candidate for for that. Cousins is having a, a better season than he usually has, and they do have some interesting, you know, Justin Jefferson, such like they do have some interesting players involved. But I just, I just can't care about this team. I think the Cowboys will will win this game because I like the Cowboys and I like watching them. And Jack Prescott is playing at a very high level right now. Uh, and the Vikings have a tendency not to play. It's it's Connor's theory, right? That D- Cowboys are a, a plus five hundred team, so therefore they should comfortably beat the Vikings. I think that's probably a completely fair assessment. I think Minnesota, we have to give them some respect. Like, they, they do feel like a wildcard team, no matter how much you, you hate it. And they have an effective game plan. They're like the poor man's Cleveland Browns, basically. They have Dalvin Cook. They have Kirk Cousins, who's effective on play action. And Adam Thielen has kind of caught up a bit in recent weeks. And Justin Jefferson, we know, is a great, is a great threat. We need to see if Trayvon Diggs kind of goes against him. And it could be a very much a back-and-forth yeah. battle between them. Because um, I think he'll give up some big plays, but he might get a good, like, a, you know, 
Cousins is, is prone to a pick or two. The other X factor probably for Minnesota is that they have KJ Osborne, who's been a solid uh, third receiving option. But look, on paper, it's really hard to pick against Dallas right now. They look like a team that's found their identity, which is basically nothing to do with Mike McCarthy. He's just there to you know screw up the clock <laughs> management. But the identity is Dak Prescott, who, as I think you say, is playing at a really high level. And it's not just that he's an explosive playmaker. He's who's obviously very good at pushing it down the field, can run a bit if he needs to. But the fact that he's reading game at a level that I think is only surpassed after all those retirements by Tom Brady. I don't think there's anyone else in the league who is at the level of Dak Prescott in terms of both understanding and executing the game of football from the quarterback position. And I think if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you have to be very excited because, you know, we've seen some of these other teams when they give the big contract to the quarterback that they start to fall apart. But I think you see in Dak Prescott someone who, like Peyton Manning before him, will probably be able to carry this team to the playoffs. For you. And obviously we also know that the run game has been absolutely devastating um, against most opponents. New England managed to slow it down to only about 100 and something yards but most other teams are giving over 200 yards and the Minnesota defense while not terrible um, doesn't seem like the kind of unique unit that'll be able to stop that so and really at that point you're picking your poison are we going to get defeated by Dak or are we going to get defeated by Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard finally then Monday Night Football New York Giants uh, at the Kansas City Chiefs Chiefs obviously in a bit of a crisis by their standards trying to get back to 500 against a Giants team that started the season pretty poorly but is actually better than people think that they are capable that winning against the Panthers I mean the Panthers are in a bad place right now but it was a pretty comprehensive win for a team that isn't any good and even though they're banged up with injuries they're still getting the points on the board and Daniel Jones is, is making fewer mistakes than before but all that said these are the kind of games that the Chiefs are winning this year when they're just their sheer talent just overcomes the opposition when they play teams that are just not good enough to compete with the with the Mahomes show I think that they will just do their thing that they did against the Eagles or they or they did against other teams this year where they'll just score enough points to win and everyone will think the crisis is over and then they'll have to play a good team in a few weeks time and the crisis will be back again so we've gone for KC across the board um, I think that they are too good for the Giants but the Giants may make this more competitive than, than you might expect uh, on uh, paper so that's the slate for, for next week as, as we've seen hopefully a lot better uh, in terms of interesting games between good teams uh, than we saw this week so yeah that's it any plans for the weekend or any anything you want to share with us before we leave Traveling back to the homestead this weekend, the cabin. Ah, yes. But it's got good internet these days, as I've talked about every time I go home. But uh, how rural broadband, man! Yeah, yeah. you got that uh, fiber to the home. You got that hundred megabytes, one gigabyte, depending which contract you sign. Nice. Since, since that's happened, going home is fine. It's just like the seven-hour push journey. <laughs> God, yeah. seven hours. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty. That's a uh, whole good red good. zone. <laughs> <laughs> you should time it. You should time it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not much going on with me. Uh, my parents might be coming down this weekend, but they're not sure. It's also Halloween, so my uh, fiance is really in love with Halloween and is decorating the house like mad and preparing for trick-or-treaters. We might actually get trick-or-treaters this year. We didn't get any last year, um, so it'll be interesting to see. Well, my, my, only, my only hope is that our house doesn't get egged. I mean, I think that is a, <laughs> a thing that I've been led to believe happens in the suburbs, but uh, yeah. Uh, there are a few rowdy teenagers around, but hopefully they'll behave themselves. Get off um, so my yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got to prepare my shaking fist. I got. I got to. Got to get into into gear. Um, so yeah, so that's it for all four quarters uh, this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, we look forward to having Connor back uh, next week. Yeah, hope to see you then. Bye.